0: Well good morning, good morning and welcome to the Alamo City family in this room and the streaming family scattered all over the place. It is so good to be with the Lord's people this morning. Do I get a witness? What a week we have had, what a week we have had in this country and I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be with a bunch of folks this morning who honor this book, who believe what's in this book, and, and who, who voted and you did what you needed to do as far as that goes. But we, we, we are bowing in the presence of a king this morning, and his name is Jesus. And he's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming to get us when it's time for us to go to heaven. But he's coming back to this earth one day. And it's not going to be when he's voted back in. It's just when he's ready to come. And that's going to be an awesome, awesome, awesome thing. It was in the Old Testament days that it is reported from the Scripture that the people of the Lord from time to time would find a prophet or they would find a priest and they would ask this question. Is there a word from the Lord? What the the context of that was circumstances would be troubling, difficulties in the country, maybe things personally. And and they needed to know if, if there was a word from the Lord, if, if God had something to say to them. It could have been a word of correction, it could have been a promise. Is there a word from the Lord? I believe that many, many, many of God's people this morning are asking that same question. We may not put it in just those words, but, but there is an anticipation in our hearts. There is a hunger in our hearts to know, Lord, where are you in all that's going on? Is, is there a word from the Lord? I ask that question. I ask him every week, but especially this week, Lord, is there a word from your heart to your people? And I believe he's put something in my heart to say to you this morning. It's it's not a new word. It's not something he's never spoken to us before. But I believe it's as important now, maybe more important now than perhaps at any other time in our recent history. And here, here it is, just these two words. Are you ready? Trust me. Trust me, lean on me, depend on me, count on me. Trust me, trust me, trust me. Would you take your copy of the scripture and would you open it to the book of Second Chronicles? It's one of those three sets of historic books in the earlier part of the Old Testament. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And it, it, it has to do with a season in the life of Judah. The nation, Israel had been split now into two parts. David and Solomon are past history. After Solomon died, the kingdom ended up being split into two groups, 10 tribes in the north called Israel. They kept the name Israel. Then there were two tribes in the south and they took the name Judah. Judah, Judah would be where Jerusalem was. Israel, the northern kingdom, continued on its, its departure from the ways of the Lord. They incorporated other kinds of worship in their in their national religious pursuit. It, it, was not just, it was not just one, the one true and living God. It was it was one and a whole bunch of other minor gods or false gods. And as a result of that, the, the discipline of the Lord came upon upon that group of the ten tribes in that kingdom called Israel. But we find ourselves in Second Chronicles 20 with an event that happened to the Two tribes in the south, the the kingdom of Judah, in Jerusalem. The king's name is Jehoshaphat. How's that for a name? But it was was fine back then. The names would mean things, and sometimes they were were multi-syllable names and hard for us to get a handle around. But I want you to find in your copy of the scriptures, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, And I want you to jump down to verse 12. Find verse 12. The king, Jehoshaphat, is praying. With all the people gathered. And here's what he says. O our God, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on thee. And all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. To the king, and by way of him to the rest of the people. There was a call from heaven to his people on this earth. Trust me. Trust me. I don't know where you may be this morning. I don't know how you're doing coming out of the election necessarily or the yet unresolved election in many ways. Don't know how your medical condition personally may be or how your family situation, your children, your spouse, your extended family may be. But regardless of our individual situation, the Lord's Word to your heart, because He loves you, because He picked you out, And brought you into the family of God by way of Jesus. And your faith and your trust in Jesus. Because he loves you. Because he picked you out. Because he wanted you to be a part of the family. He says to you and to me this morning, trust me. Trust me. Would you say that back to me? Trust me. Let's say it again. Trust me. Let's say it one more time. Trust me. Put the emphasis on the two different words. Trust me. And then you can say it this way. Trust me. Trust me. Depend on, lean on, rely on, count on me. You trust me. I am the king of all kings. I have been given the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Trust me, I calm storms. Trust me, I walk on water. Trust me, I raise the dead. Trust me, I call forth the night and turn it into day. Trust me. Trust me, there's nothing I don't know. There's nothing I can't fix. There's no place I can't be. There's no way I run out of anything because if I did, I'd just create some more. Trust me. You're not just a number to me. You're not just a name to me. I know you because I formed you in your mother's womb. I've known every day of your life, I've known every week of your life. I've known every crisis. I've known every blessing. I've been there through it all. I've held you. I've carried you. I've stopped things from touching you. I've opened doors for you. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Now, I want you to go with me back to 2 Chronicles 20, and, and I want you to we'll actually back up another chapter or two. Second Chronicles chapter 17. Who who, who is this Jehoshaphat the king? What was he, was he somebody who was who was known for how 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 loose he was morally um, and how crooked he was administratively? Or, or, or was he was he someone who was known as a man who tried to follow the Lord? And lo and behold, a man who's trying to follow the Lord gets hit with this impossible onset of hostile troops that want to wipe out the country and destroy Jerusalem and steal what God had given them. Well, you you determine this for yourself, but but look, look at... In 2 Chronicles 17, verse 1, it says, Jehoshaphat, his son, then became king in his place and made his position firm over Israel. Whose whose son was Jehoshaphat? He was the son of a man named Asa. Asa, a king. The king who was on the throne before his son Jehoshaphat came on the throne. Well, well, Asa is, is the man who started out uh, honorably, nobly, following the Lord. But as time went on, he he took his eyes off the Lord and he just began to trust in things that he could see and put his hands on. And as a result of that, he made some bad choices and alliances and and, and things that he, he did during his reign. So much so that a prophet came to him and spoke to Asa. One of the most amazing verses in your Bible. I hope you have, have it memorized. I, I, I hope it's one, that it's one of your go-to verses. When you're wondering, Lord, what's going on here? Where, where are, what, what, is, what, what should my life be marked by? Second Chronicles 16, verse 9. Look at this. This was spoken to Asa, Jehoshaphat's father. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, That he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And the warning then was given you have acted foolishly in this matter. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. That was spoken to Jehoshaphat's father. The prophet came and said, Here's one thing you need to know about the God we serve His eyes are roaming throughout the earth. But when he finds one somebody whose heart is completely his, he will strongly support that one. And as a result, Asa had been blessed in the early years of his reign. But he turned away, and he says that wars followed. Well, Jehoshaphat grew up in that house. Jehoshaphat knew about that. Jehoshaphat knew about the early days of his daddy's leadership and then he knew about the latter days of his daddy's leadership. He knew the difference between the two and he made the choice as he stepped into the rulership and the reign of Judah that he would not make the same mistakes his daddy made. Folks, that's one of the most important choices that a child will ever make instead of just automatically doing it like daddy did it or doing it like mama did it, where there's a godly example, yes, we pursue the godly example. But where there has been a wrong example, where where it has ended in decay and ruin and destruction, then we make the choice because we observe the contrast. The Lord teaches us by contrast. You want good or you want harm. You want to be blessed or you want a difficult life. And we sometimes learn our most important lessons by realizing, I don't want to go that way. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that person. Jehoshaphat evidently gleaned some wonderful and powerful and, and uh, significant leadership from those examples that he saw in his father, both positively and negatively. But then that verse again, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole inhabited earth in order that he may show himself strong in the one. He doesn't have to have 50. He doesn't have to have five. He doesn't have to have a whole family line. Just give him one person in a family line whose heart belongs to him, and you watch the Lord roll up his sleeves and show himself strong in behalf of that one. You are never a minority when the Lord is on your side. Or better yet, you are on the Lord's side. That's where it starts. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may show himself strong in behalf of the one whose heart is completely his. You want the Lord to show himself strong in your business? Then you give your heart completely to him. Don't just leave this in a Sunday school classroom. Don't leave this just in a church building. Wherever you need for and desire for, the Lord to show himself strong. You give your heart completely to him as you stand in that place. And you just watch what he'll do. We've said said often, and it's a it just continues to be a theme. Give the Lord something to bless. Give the Lord. I know during this time where it seems like there can be unsettleness with, with the election and and all the things going on, that that ones who who will walk not in faith but trying to walk by sight can just shrink in and just hold everything tight and just we better keep it to ourselves. This is the time, folks, to prove the sufficiency of the Lord. Keep giving him something to bless. Keep giving him something financial to bless. He, he, he knows where we're going. He's got it if we want him to bless us in a particular area, then we give in that particular, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. If we're not getting the harvest in, as you've heard us say, if we're not getting the harvest we want, it's not to complain about the harvest, it's to check the seed. What kind of seed are we sowing? How much seed are we sowing? God is not mocked. Galatians 6, whatever a man sows, That and that only shall he reap. So we need to benefit from the positive side of that law, folks. And and regardless of the season of time, regardless of what the the, the climate economically looks like, we keep giving him something to bless. And he has a way of multiplying what we give to him back in our direction. And it's more than just financial. It is financial material. But he said, so nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. Nobody's coming to see me. Nobody cares about me. Well, let me just ask you the question. Who are you going to see? Who who are you checking on? Who are you? You reap what you sow. If nobody's coming to see you, you're probably not going to see anybody else. I didn't mean to get off on that, but that rabbit jumped up. I shot over his head. I just just had to aim something at him, throw something at him. Don't, Don't be whining about what's not happening Check, check your seed sowing. And so the, the, that point is keep giving the Lord something to bless. And that's what he delights in. He loves that. He, he longs to bless, but he wants us to see that our receiving is a function of our giving. It's not just accidental. It's not just just random. Deal. There, is a, there is a cause and effect. We honor him, and he honors us. We honor him, and he honors us. Amen. Right, so Jehoshaphat, somewhere or another, learned some good things about his, from his dad, and we find it being spoken that, that in, in, um, in 2 Chronicles 17, once Jehoshaphat became the king, it says in verse 3, 17, 3, and the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father David's earlier days and did not seek the Baals, did not go after false gods. But he sought the God of his father, followed his commandments, and did not act as Israel, the northern kingdom, did. So the Lord, so, there's that result, as a result of what what he did, what Jehoshaphat did, seeking the Lord and following his commandments, the Lord established the kingdom in his control. And all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. He pursued that course. Skip over to chapter 19. Just just further details of the kind of heart the man had. Verse verse 5, 2 Chronicles 19, 5. He appointed judges in the land, in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. And he said to the judges, now listen to this. This is the instruction of the king, the head of state, the leader, to the judges. Consider what you are doing. For you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you when when you render judgment. Now then let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be very careful what you do. For the Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness. For the Lord our God will have no part in what isn't right. For the Lord our God will have no part in what isn't right in his sight or partiality. The Lord will have no part in partiality or the taking of a bribe. In other words, the Lord is not going to be with you, is not going to be participating with you if you were going to use your position to show partiality in a particular direction to a particular group or to a particular person. The Lord loves everyone equally and He expects you to render judgment on an equal and fair and just and true basis. No partiality, no unrighteousness, or the taking of a bribe. In Jerusalem, he also, Joseph had also appointed some of the Levites and, and priests and some others to be. Judges there on lesser issues, verse 9. Then he charged them, saying, Thus shall you do in the fear of the Lord faithfully and wholeheartedly. And he, he says, you, whenever there's a dispute that comes to you from your brethren, you live in the cities between blood and blood, family members, between law and commandments, statutes and ordinances, you shall warn them that they may not guilty before, be guilty before the Lord. And then down at the end of verse 11, act resolutely and the Lord be with the upright. Okay, now that, that's the end of night. That, that's how he had been living. That's what he had been trying to do. Those were the positions that he was seeking to implement within the leadership of the nation at that time. Now, chapter 20, verse 1. Now, it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Munites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. But wait a minute. I thought Jehoshaphat was living in a way that pleased the Lord. But he was trying to stand up for justice and truth and and follow the covenant descriptions and commandments from the Lord. If he was doing things right, why would there be war against him? There would be war against him because there's a real devil. And the real devil hates what the one true and living God represents on this earth. One of the greatest testimonies that you are a man of God or you are a woman of God is who comes after you. If it is the people of God known for their walk with the Lord who will try to counsel you, instruct you, and maybe even speak words of correction and you blow them off, then that's on you. But if it is those who hate law, hate God are in favor of, of destruction and so forth that would have to do with you particularly. And they're coming after you. They're coming after you because you represent to them the very thing that they despise so much. That was true with Jehoshaphat. They came after Jehoshaphat because he was a man of God, because he was a king who was trying to lead his people in a way that honored the Lord. And as a result, God was blessing the nation. God was blessing the nation as a result of Jehoshaphat's leadership. And the result was that the enemies of the Lord that were also the enemies now of Jehoshaphat came to try to destroy him and the people. All right, so we continue on. Jehoshaphat Verse 2, then then some came and reported Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea out of Aram. And behold, they are in Hazazon Timar, which is in Negeti. A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea. And Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Amazing thing about Jehoshaphat is some way or another, somebody got wind that the king was scared, that the king was afraid. Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of thee, O man? But to do what's right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Even a king, even a head of state, even a leader, in times of crisis like this, the only place to go is low. The only place to get to quick is on your face before the Lord. And I gotta tell you, folks, That as as the circumstances can terrify us, the circumstances can trouble our status quo and our and our and our peace of mind. But God, God loves for us to be at that place where our focus is only upon Him, where we are saying out of the need of our heart, Lord, I need You. Lord, it's better just to know enough to know about You. But I need you. My family needs you. My people need you. And for the king to humble himself, to admit his fear, and to say to the people, we're in so far over our heads that if God doesn't come through, we're done for as a nation. He sent that word out, and the cry was, come to a solemn assembly and we will stand before the Lord and wait before the Lord. We're walking away from our businesses. We're leaving the cattle in the field. We're walking away because if if God doesn't come through, it won't matter about those cattle. It won't matter about the crops. And so they came from all over. What did they come to do for a one-hour church meeting? They came to stand in the presence of the Lord is called a solemn assembly. And they would take very literally 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, where the Lord had promised, and we'll touch on that. He quotes that, sections of that, in just a moment in his prayer. And we'll read that. But they left stuff behind that was their daily life because they understood that the circumstances were so potentially destructive that unless the Lord intervened, they were done and so their eyes were upon him they followed the king's example folks the lord daniel too the lord raises up one king and he takes down another king the lord is ultimately responsible for who rises in authority and leadership across the kingdoms and the governments of the world But the Lord is responsible ultimately for that. And we don't completely know who the president is going to be of our nation at this point in time. It may be as it seems to be, but it may not. But regardless of who it is, could we just begin to pray, Lord, give us a president with a heart like this king who is not afraid, he was not too proud to admit the things that frighten him, that burden him because of the welfare of the nation and our place in the nations of the world. Lord, give us somebody, give us somebody who will cause the nation, encourage the nation to cry out unto you in our times of need and distress. Whether it's a virus or whether it's the, the economic condition or whether it is social justice, whatever it is, the only way those things are going to be solved is if the Lord God of hosts meets with us, heals our land, and restores us to the place of plenty in the spirit and plenty in heart. So, so Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat had been trying to do right, and then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. These, these, these enemies, more than they can even count are lined up at their, at their border to come in. He gets word of that. And it frightens him. He calls the people to prayer. This is verse 5 of 2 Chronicles 20. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, now he's talking to the Lord, but the people are listening to the king talk to the Lord. You you talk about encouragement. Some of the greatest prayers you'll ever read from the prayer of a president of our nation are those of Abraham Lincoln. You, You ought to Google that, find that, get you a book on Abraham Lincoln's prayers. He was not perfect. He didn't do everything right. But he was victimized so horribly by even members of his own cabinet as the war continued on and so forth. But I'm telling you, he knew how to pray, and he was not ashamed to say, Lord, unless you are merciful upon us as a people, we will cease to be. I believe we'll see our brother Abraham. We'll have another brother Abraham up there. Father Abraham and brother Abraham up in, up in glory one day. But oh, that the Lord would give us men and women in leadership who would have this kind of heart. Now listen to how he prays. Oh, Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. Let me say that again. Can we read that again? The declaration of a king. He's a king, but he understands he is under ultimate authority the king over all kings, and he says, power and might are in thy hand so that no one can stand against thee. We declare it as a truth, Lord, power and might are in your hand. You hold power, you hold might, and no one is able to stand against you. When the time comes for the reckoning to happen, there can be temporary resistance, there can be with individuals for King Saul's life. It was the better part of 40 years before he was taken away and David became the king of Israel in keeping with the promise of the Lord regarding David. But at the end of the time, in Psalm 37, at the end of that, David writes that at the end of his life, on toward the end of his his life, and he, he speaks this section that has to do with Saul. I saw a violent, wicked man spreading himself like a tree planted next to a stream or a river. Fruitful, influential. The tree spread out all over the place. Then, then he passed away, and I sought for him, and I couldn't even find the place where the tree was planted, though in the season he seemed so permanent, so influential, so powerful. David was just saying, the only one who is permanent, the only one who can give rise to permanent things is the God who holds all power and might in his hand. And no one can stand against him. May we own that, hold that, cling to that as a truth. May our leaders know that. That they are temporary. Temporary. They are not permanent. Do you realize that the clock has already started ticking for the next presidential election four years from now? There is nothing about this election that is permanent. It may have an ability to influence things for two years or four years, possibly even eight if someone gets reelected, but then they're gone. Then they're done. Our peace of mind, as we talked about last week, should never be attached to things that are not permanent, that we rise and fall on the basis of how an election goes or how the weather changes or what happens in the stock market, et cetera, et cetera. The writer of Scripture would say, David would say, Lord, my times, my times are in your hand. You you, you are forever the same. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never is a permanent word, isn't it? Even our parents would say, I'm always going to be there for you. They're always going to be there for us as long as they live in this life. A friend can say, I'm always there for you as long as they're your friend. Hello. But the only one who can say, and he's saying it to you this morning, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. The only reason he can say that and it be true is because death tried to keep him dead forever and death, death lost. Satan tried to stack all kinds of stuff against him, sins on him, but because he paid the price with his own shed blood, paid the price for every one of those sins, not even sin. And Satan can keep him in the grave and cause him to be temporary. He came out of the grave. He's alive forevermore, and he holds the keys of death and of hell, and no one can stand before him. I'm telling you, folks, get your eyes out of the news cycle. Get, get, get your eyes off of what the emotional part of us can seem to be. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. We'll keep saying, oh, my goodness, for the next two years, and then the next two years after that, and then the next two years after that. We can keep doing that until we finally go to heaven, and there are no elections in heaven. Or we can realize, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to cast my vote, but I'm understanding that my times are in his hand. I'm trusting the one before whom no one can stand. He he is in charge of the things that affect me. And I'm resting in him. I'm trusting in him. I'm trusting in him. I'm trusting in him. I'm trusting in him. So here we find Jehoshaphat continuing with his prayer. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land Before your people Israel, he's speaking of how they ended up being blessed with a land of their own. They had just been slaves. They always worked on somebody else's property. They never had anything that was really their own. That was Egypt. But God had a better future for them, a pledge and a promise and a covenant for them. He brought them out, brought them into their own land that he had to clear out the inhabitants of the land. That's what he's speaking of here in order for them to possess that land. And then he says in verse 9, should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before thee, for thy name is in this house, and we will cry out to thee in our distress, and thou wilt hear and deliver us. And then he says, and now look at these ones who are coming against us. They were ones who could have been destroyed when we when we came into the land all those years ago with Moses and Joshua. They were not, a, they were not. Um, invaded. They they were not overcome. They were were allowed to live. But then he said, look how they're rewarding us for the kindness toward them. Verse 11, behold, how they're rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possessions, which, which thou hast given us as an inheritance. And then that statement, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we are powerless before the great multitude, Who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on thee. And all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. I want to try to bring that from all those centuries ago to today in family lives and personal situations. Folks, our life on this earth is by design supposed to be a life full of the testimonies of the rescues of the Lord, of the salvations of the Lord. Yes, we put our trust in him to deliver us from sin, and we are forgiven and we are free. We are saved in that sense, but that's not the only time we need Jesus to rescue us in this life. It's not about sins, but it can be about adversaries. It can be about conflicts. It can be about disease. It can be about the the twists and the turns of a professional career. There's an example for leadership here. There's an example for every father, every mother who has a position of leadership over a family. That when something comes at you, and it doesn't mean that it's coming at you because you've disobeyed God, or you don't love him, or he's abandoned you. Jehoshaphat was following the Lord, seeking the Lord, honoring the Lord, implementing the Lord's plan, and the enemy came after him because of those things. But when that happens, folks, when that happens, the example here is, I will admit to the ones close to me that I'm afraid, that I'm worried, that I don't know what to do. And I will call them to stand with me in prayer. Lord, this is is too impossible. It's too big for us. We don't know what to do. But starting with me as the dad, starting with me as mom and dad, starting with me as the head of this company, our eyes are on you. We are choosing to trust you. We're choosing to trust you. Folks, these stories in the scriptures are here for us to realize the deliverances of the Lord are not just accidental, random, no cause and effect situations. They're here for us to understand. Here's why God broke through and rescued Israel or Judah, the southern kingdom. It is because the king humbled himself and the people gathered around him and they humbled themselves and together they prayed. Lord, our eyes are on you. This is too big for us. We don't know what to do. Folks, Now maybe some folks will try to give you a cute little formula for here's how you can just always live in nothing but prosperity and blessing and the devils are 40 miles away and you won't have to worry with them if you follow my man-made not in the bible my man-made formula for how you can keep the devils away and always be filthy rich it's not in the bible if it was in the bible and the prime example of god's blessing on a life was jesus why did he die penniless Why did he say, I don't have a pillow to put my head on? I don't have a house. Why? Because the things of greatest value are not material things. And he wants us to know the joy of the Lord as our strength, even when we may be having to trust him for the next meal for our children. So how could, how could a loving father do that? A loving father could do that if he's wanting to show his children just how awesome he is in the way that he provides, sometimes bite by bite, hour by hour, day by day, meeting the needs that we have as they come. He can. He can bless. With so much stuff in the freezer, you've got to buy another freezer to put your frozen stuff in. He can do that, but that is not the proof. That is not the singular indication of the blessing of the Lord upon a life. Why would Paul say, be sure you bring my heavy coat and be sure you bring the books to Timothy? Because that's all he had. He said, I'm having nothing, yet I possess all things. This world, this life is temporary. It's going to fade. It's going to lose its luster. And again, there are no U-Hauls that are hooked up to funeral hearse, going to Sunset Sunset Memorial. Not one. The Pharaohs tried that. That's why the pyramids were so huge. And how would that work out for them? The same way with us it would be that the Lord knows me. He, he wants me to know him. And sometimes, folks, and we don't like to hear this, but sometimes one well, of the best ways we get to knowing him and knowing how strong he is and how real he is and how abundantly available for help he is, is when all hell breaks loose against us or the bottom falls out beneath our feet or things that were our worst nightmare happened to us. And even in the middle of that place, and especially in the middle of that place, When we humble ourselves before the Lord, we let him know we're afraid, we're we're scared, we're worried. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And he meets us there. He meets us there. He meets us there. Folks, listen. Listen. If you had been one of these little five-year-old or seven-year-old, eight-year-old, maybe a 12 or 13-year-old, and your parents said, we got to go to Jerusalem because there's an army coming against us, and we're not sure we're going to even survive, so we've got to go pray and seek the Lord. And you're standing there, and you're listening. You got great big ears and a little bitty mouth, and you're taking it all in, and you hear the king pray in the way that he prayed. You hear him say, Lord, you brought us here. We couldn't have done this on our own. You established us in this land. But here comes the enemy. Lord, there are too many for us. We're powerless before this multitude. And we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on. Can you imagine what that taught a 13-year-old or an 8-year-old or a 15-year-old in that season? God uses difficult times in family lives to teach the children, the next generation, what you're supposed to do when hell breaks out at your doorstep. Instead of going and getting drunk and staying out, just tanked for a week, trying to forget about it, we face it. We face what the issue is. You know, some folks say you just you just can't confess that you're scared. You just don't ever, you just can't confess your fear. What? If the Lord knows that's in your heart, how honest is it to act like you're not afraid and play some plastic game with the Father who reads our thoughts and think that's going to work? Believe the part here that so endeared Jehoshaphat to the heart of the Lord that made it evident that his heart was completely the Lord's is that he felt that he could in this place of deep distress, personal fear and concern for the nation as an individual, but also because of his position, he admitted that he was afraid. And as a result of that, he didn't just want to pray by himself. He needed some other folks to pray with him. He sent the edict out as the king. We need to gather together to pray because this is so serious and this is so potentially devastating to our nation. And he prayed. And as he prayed, the people heard and the people participated. And the statement and all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives and their children. Can you think back of a situation in your family whereas the mother or the father or the two of you and your children, and maybe it was about the news of losing a job, maybe it was a diagnosis It was the last thing you wanted to hear. Some of you have been in that place, and instead of hiding your fear, you shared it, you spoke it, And then you gathered everyone that was in your sphere of influence that you could say, come and meet and pray. You did that. You let out in that. You called them together for prayer. And you prayed. And you prayed. You gave some history. You prayed however was in your heart to pray. But then you ended it, maybe not with these exact words, but you ended it this way. We don't know what to do, Lord. This is bigger than us We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Daddies, say that in the hearing of your children. Husbands, say that in the hearing of your wife. Parents, say that in the hearing of your family. They need to know. They need to hear it because the time will come when they're going to be facing some invading armies set out to destroy them. You can't throw money at this and teach anything. You, you can't pray by yourself all the time and it ever spill over into teaching and influence your children and those who need to hear it. The king could have just said, I'm, I'm, too, I'm, I'm the king. I'm not going to let everybody know how I'm really feeling. But he didn't do that. He humbled himself. I know I'm on, staying on this, but I just feel like this is, this is one of those, one of those timeless lessons from this example. God broke through. God did an amazing thing. But he did it because the man in leadership humbled himself and said, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes, our eyes are on you. Look at verse 14. Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah. Verse 15. And he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they'll come up by the ascent of Ziz. Of You'll find them at the end of the valley in front of the, the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O oh, Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. It was in the setting of humility. It was in the setting of the gathered community that the Spirit of the Lord spoke and gave direction. And the direction was, you're not to fight this battle. You are to stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, folks, that word stand, stand is a strategic word. It's not just trying to find some word to, 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 to indicate some posture. To stand means to stand in agreement, to stand believing, to stand receiving. Don't run, don't change. You stand and see the salvation of the Lord. There was deliverance that the Lord was going to bring, but he wanted the participation of his people. He wanted them to be a part of it. He didn't just say, go and stay in your houses. You go out to face them. And what you're going to see is the salvation of the Lord, the deliverance of the Lord fighting in your behalf. Verse 20, or look at verse 17 again. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourself, stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Verse 20, And they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord. There's that word again. What is the word of the Lord to the church in America? Trust me. Trust me. Put your trust in the Lord in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army. And he said, you give thanks to the Lord. This is what you're to say. Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. And when they began singing and praising the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the out of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground and no one had escaped. The end of verse 25. And they were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. The Lord says, I will fight. This is my battle. This is my battle. You stand and you see the salvation of the Lord. It's an amazing thing in Scripture. Jehoshaphat will say in verse 12, look at 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? Judge them. The ones who were coming against them. David, in in the, in the early chapters of Psalms, picks up on that and finds that in his heart, the permission that he has in his heart to pray for the Lord to judge his enemies. He wasn't necessarily going to be the one to do it all. But notice how, notice how he prays. This is in Psalm number 7 and verse 8. Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. For the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. My shield is with God. Then look in verse In in verse 15, he, the wicked, has dug a pit and hollowed it out and he has fallen into the hole which he made. His mischief will return upon his own head and his violence will descend upon his own pate. It's as if David understood, Jehoshaphat understood that it is the heart of the Lord to deal with those who were coming against his people in his timing, and in his way. Look at verse, chapter 9, Psalm number 9, verse 15. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made. In the net which they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. In the work of his own hands, the wicked is snared. Then look at this one in chapter 10, verse 15. David writes again, break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Seek out his wickedness until thou dost find none. To break the arm of the wicked means to break the power, break the authority, break the control of the one who is bringing hurt, bringing deception, bringing lies and and injury and even death to the people of the Lord. Wilt thou not judge them Jehoshaphat pray. You and I have that permission from these examples in scripture to pray in a similar fashion. We may not know all of what is going on against us. We may not have all of the details of the scheme of the devil at work, but we do have the right to pray. Lord, where you see wickedness, where you see the arm of wickedness furthering a plan, furthering schemes, and it's hurting. It's about to to bring ruin our way. Lord, defeat it. Defeat it. Defeat it. And he has the ability to do it. That's why Paul will write in in Ephesians 6, "You, you, you clothe yourself in the arm of the Lord, and you understand that our fight is not against flesh and blood ultimately, and you stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Schemes meaning plans that work. Plans, plots, designs that work. Now, I've, I'm not, this is not a, a political statement, but I, I'm just going to say this, whether you are a, a Democrat, Republican, an Independent, or just an American. I, I have been troubled this week with the input in, that I've gotten from different places around the country of folks concerned that in their areas, that there were some things that they felt like were not right about the tabulating, the counting of the votes. Whether or not that's true, only the Lord knows. But here's what I believe we can do, whether it's a Democrat, whether you're a Democrat, a or Republican, or an Independent, or whatever. Lord, if there has been a concerted effort to take over the tabulation process and digitally some way or another alter votes in this nation, We would ask you in the name of Jesus to expose it if it's there, defeat it if it's there. But, Lord, if it's not there, would you just help there to be a sense of resolve across the country? That was just spoken about. That didn't really happen. That was just a rumor. So we can go on because we need to have integrity. We need to have the sense that my vote counts and it's not going to give me voting for somebody that I didn't vote for or these manufactured votes. If it is something and it could sound like a scheme, a scheme of the devil, not heaven. A scheme out of hell and not here. Regardless of who the elector will be, who, who the president would be. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is if there was a scheme where there had, could have been a scheme in work to try to defeat the integrity, the trust of the voting process, then, Lord, obliterate it. Lord, expose it, root it out, deal with it. But then if it's not there, let there be some kind of a peace and calm just to come over everybody so that we can go on. Because listen, here's the deal, folks. It doesn't matter if it's Joe Biden or or Donald Trump. You and I are called to pray for him, to lift up holy hands and pray for him to pray that the Lord will bless him with what the Lord knows he needs and for us to honor those who are in authority over us and to in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Then ask the Holy Spirit to empower you so that you can forgive those you need to forgive and embrace the ones you need to embrace and do what the Lord has called us to do, that we will be, we will be a beacon of light and hope will be a beacon of faith no matter what the circumstances are around us. We'll pray for Joe Biden. We'll pray for Donald Trump. We'll pray for the Supreme Court justices, the senators, the congressmen and women because that's what we're called to do. That's the church. That's the permanent call upon the church. The faces are going to change. They are not permanent, the people nor the policies, but that which remains constant is that which the Lord has called his people to do regardless of where we live and who's in office. Amen? I just needed to get that out of my system. And we'll leave it in the Lord's hands. But as God's people, we will pray. We stand in agreement with you. Our eyes are on you. We're trusting you. And that breakthrough of the Lord of hosts, those armies, those angel armies that the the enemies didn't see, they accomplished a great victory on that day. And, and the Lord established his man, his leader, in that position of authority throughout the rest of the days of his life. If God can do that with Jehoshaphat, God can do that with you, and he can do that with me. And that's our prayer. Amen? Amen. All right, let me, let me pray and then we'll go. Lord, we, we are so thankful for the written word of God. We are so thankful. That these stories, these true stories and and descriptions of how you intervened and rescued your people are in our Bibles. Lord, what you want us to get from what we have read today and spent some time with today, we ask you to make it plain and vivid and real and strong in our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit, enabling us to trust you, to not be floundering in doubt and despair but that you would fill us with your hope. You empower your hope alive in us by your spirit, we pray. We pray for our country, oh God. We pray for our country. We are so deeply divided. And we ask you to bring the healing. that, That prayer again, we've been praying, Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. Pour out your spirit upon the United States of America again. More than ever, Lord, do we realize the need for you to do just that. Send the Holy Spirit for Christ's sake is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, and amen. Bless you. Thank you, Pastor.